Hi, and welcome to Halfwit History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And sometimes not so long ago. How not so long ago is it this time? Um, 1892. Okay, decent. Yeah, yeah, working yeah. on it. Do we have any updates from a few minutes ago? Uh, not unless you looked up the chupacabra. Nope. <laughs> All right, then no. <laughs> so maybe next time we will find out information on the chupacabra. I fully intended to have done it while you were saving the last recording and promptly forgot. I'm so speedy. Yes, well. Okay, so this week we are taking a little trip over to the Philippines, um, the capital of the Philippines, Manila, to be exact. Cool. And just as a general disclaimer at the start, this topic has a lot of Filipino words in it. Um, for those who don't know, Filipino is the standardized version of Tagalog. Um, but there's between 120 and 187 different languages spoken in the Philippines. I actually, for some reason, didn't realize that Tagalog was from the Philippines. I and didn't either. I feel like I just never took the time to look it up because I've heard of Tagalog before. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I realized that Filipino and Tagalog were like technically one and the same. Yeah. Um, it's it's like a standardized standardized version. So like there are different dialects and stuff that you know have differences. Right. But uh, Filipino is like the like one that probably most people can read, um, provided they know their version of Tagalog. Right. Um. So since I unsurprisingly don't speak Filipino, I'm just going to say now that I'll do the best I can with pronunciation. <laughs> and I will be editing out the 10 to 20 times Kylie tries to say something for favor of the one that came out the closest. Yes. And I appreciate that you do that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd look like a dummy. <laughs> okay. So on July 7th, 1892, the Karastasan... There's a lot of A's and N's and G's in that one. Katapunan Ank Nbayan. This is going to be a rough one. <laughs> this is going to be rougher than when I was doing the Hawaii episode. <laughs> I can already tell. Okay, but how does one pronounce NG? Mm. Okay, so that's that's pretty much what I did. Yeah, it's just mm. Mm. and then M G A. Well, I got yeah. one of them. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so in English, that translates to the Supreme and Venerable Association of the Children of the Nation. Um, it was also known as the Katapunan, which is what I will call it, or the KKK. Huh? Yep, and what? that's what made me go. Excuse me, this topic. <laughs> oh, what a twist. Yes, in the Philippines, the KKK was revolutionary force, not white supremacists. <laughs> so, ah, okay. Heyo, <laughs> but I'm going to call it the Katipunan. Good choice. Yes, I so, don't want that SEO grabbing us. <laughs> no. So the uh, this organization was formed on July seventh, eighteen ninety two, and that is my event. So the Katipunan was a revolutionary society founded by anti Spanish uh, colonialism Filipinos whose primary goal was to gain independence from Spain through a revolution. Catapunan was founded by uh, Filipino patriots Dedado Ariano, Teodoro Plata, Valentin Diaz, Ladislao Diwa, Andre Benefacio, and Jose Dizon, um, and managed to remain a secret until 1896, which is what led to the outbreak of the Philippine Revolution. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So there have been some documents that have been discovered in the 21st century that suggest that the society might have began organizing um, as early as January of 1892. Okay. But it's likely that they didn't really, you know, have like an official activity until July 7th. Um, which is the date that the Filipino writer and nationalist Jose Rizal was to be banished from the Philippines. Okay. So, since the society was a secret, its members were subjected to the utmost secrecy and were expected to abide by the rules that the society laid out. Aspiring applicants were given standard initiation rights in order to become members of the society. And I'm pretty sure that uh, most secret organizations do it. I know for a fact that the Order of the Eastern Star, which I'm a member of, does. I'm pretty sure the Masons do that, and I know most fraternities and sororities do as well. Including Phi Sigma Pi, which we were both a part of. Yes. (laughs) So, coming from what little I know, I'm pretty sure that's a very common secret society thing. (laughs) Little she knows lists off five secret societies she's part of. (laughs) I am not a Mason. I cannot be a Mason. I am female. I know. I'm kidding. (laughs) Anyway. But that Illuminati stuff you're into. (laughs) I do like me some Dan Brown. Um, So, at first, membership in the Katipunan was only open to male Filipinos, but later they actually allowed women to join as well. Nice. Yeah. Woo. So, revolutionary ideals and works flourished within the society, and Filipino literature expanded within the Katipunan. The society created its own publication, Kaliana, which meant liberty, which issued its first and last printing in March of 1896. <laughs> so, presumably, like, one printing. <laughs> uh, whoops. Yeah, well, uh, the Katipunan was effectively a successor group to La Ligua Filipina, which was founded by Jose Rizal, which was part of the late 19th century propaganda movement in the Philippines. Uh, Bonificio Diwa and Plata were all members of La Liga, and were influenced by the nationalistic ideals of the propaganda movement in Spain. So, back to the Catapunan's founding. On July 7th, 1892, writer Jose Rizal was banished and exiled to Dapitan in Mindanao, and that night Bonificio, a member of La Ligua Filipina, along with Plata, Diwa, Diaz, Ariano, and Dizon, founded the Catapunan in a house on as Caraga Street, which is now the Recto Avenue, near Elcano Street in San Nicolas, Manila. So if anyone is familiar with Manila, you can triangulate that position. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, despite their reservations about the peaceful reformation that Rizal espoused, they named Rizal as the honorary president without his knowledge, since, you know, he was being essentially deported. The society had four main goals. One, to develop a strong allegiance or alliance with each and every Ketapanero. Two, to unite Filipinos into one solid nation. Three, to win Philippine independence by means of an armed conflict or revolution. And four, to establish a republic after independence. So the rise of the Catapunan signaled the end of the crusade to secure reforms from Spain by means of a peaceful campaign. So basically, they were like, we're done with all this peaceful nonsense, and we're just going to do it. As all great revolutions are. Yes. So in true revolutionary format, (laughs) violence ensued. So the Catapunan managed to fly under the radar of the Spanish authorities for a little bit, but the group was uncovered after Rizal, uh, Rizal was exiled. 
in a secret meeting of the Katapunin by a small creek named Bitukong Manok, which was later known as the Parian Creek, uh, which it now pretty much doesn't exist anymore. So I'm assuming it like dried up. Um, on May 4th, 1896, Bonificio and his counselors decided to seek the advice of Rizal regarding a decision to form their revolt and like actually do the thing. So Bonificio sent Dr. Pio Valenzuela to Dapitan to inform Rizal of Catapunin's plan to launch a revolution and, if possible, a war against Spain, which, let's just say, is like a very aggressive undertaking. <laughs> Especially for the small Philippines. That is halfway across the world. Yeah. So, yes, definitely a very large undertaking. So, apparently, Valenzuela took a blind man with him under the pretense that he was taking the man to see Rizal, whose practical profession was that of an ophthalmologist. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he took a blind man with him as this cover. <laughs> I mean, sounds like it would work. <laughs> yeah. So, Valenzuela and his blind friend arrived in Dapitan on June 21st of 1896, where Rizal welcomed them. Um, after supper, Valenzuela told him his real purpose and the necessity of securing Rizal's support for a re revolution. According to Valenzuela, Rizal only answered, no, no, that would harm the Filipino nation. So definitely not about a revolution. Revolution. No, no. No, no. <laughs> um, so Rizal objected to the plan that would plunge the Philippines into a bloody revolution, arguing that it was premature to take that step. He argued that without proper arms and funding, a revolution would be met with a quick defeat. He also believed that the people were not ready for a revolution. Uh, because of Rizal's argument, Valenzuela made a different proposal, which was to rescue Rizal from exile. However, Rizal also disapproved of this plan because he had given his word of honor to the Spanish authorities, and he didn't want to break it. Okay. Yep. Um, so, in, and like this turns out and bites him in the butt so hard. Sounds like yeah. it would. So instead, Rizal advised Valenzuela to persuade wealthy Filipinos so that they could solicit funds, where he recommended an elite army officer named Antonio Luna to be Catapunin's war general in the case that a revolution should break out. So basically, get the wealthy Filipinos who probably benefit from the Spanish imperial system to fund a revolution. I do not see that working. <laughs> no, lots of mistakes being made yes. here. Um, so Yeah. So when Valenzuela returned to Manila and informed the Catapunin of his failure to secure Rizal's sanction, Bonificio warned him not to tell anyone that, you know, Rizal had refused to support them. Um, but <laughs> Valenzuela had already told a bunch of people. So whoopsies. Oops. Yeah. Um, Not so secret anymore. Yeah, and so much so that much of the fund proposals to the society that had, were already in place were actually canceled. Oh, no. Yeah. So undeterred, the Katapunin continued to work on securing arms and munition supplies from abroad um, and continued to plan for an armed conflict with Spain against, you know, better judgment. So the Katapunin cast its eye on Japan, which loomed then as the probable champion of Asian liberties um, against um, the Western oppression at the time. So in May 1896, after Valenzuela's visit to Rizal, a delegation of Katapunin members headed by Jacinto and Bonificio confirmed, conferred with a visiting Japanese naval officer and a captain of a Japanese ship named the Congo. 
and the Japanese consul at a Japanese bazaar in Manila. Um, after the usual exchange of courtesies, Jacinto submitted the Katapunin Memorial for the Emperor of Japan, in which the Filipinos prayed for Japanese aid in their projected revolution, quote, so that the light of liberty that illuminates Japan may also shed its rays over the Philippines. Reaching out to Japan wasn't that out of the blue. Japan had been friendly to the Philippines since the Spanish colonial era. Many, many Filipinos had fled from Spanish persecution and had been welcomed there and given full protection of Japanese laws. So they had a pretty good you know, relationship going already. Right. Um, the Katapunin even tried to secure arms through Japan, so, like, get their weapons that way. Um, but their lack of funds and then pretty soon their dis- uncovery um, meant that that deal fell through. So as the Katapunin were busy preparing for the revolt, various denunciations regarding its existence reached the Spanish authorities on that previously didn't know of this thing's existence, but then started hearing, no, 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 that doesn't exist, and went, huh, hmm, To be fair, you said that they published something, so how Um, did they remain secret through that? my, My assumption on that point would probably be that it was, like, dispersed internally. Oh, okay, that makes sense, like a internal pamphlet right yeah I, I i don't think it was like you know like shouted from the rooftops or sold on the street kind of thing fair fair yeah sorry for the interruption no worries so on july 5th 1896 manuel Citiar, a spanish lieutenant of the guardia civil stationed at pasig reported to the governor general ramon blanco the mysterious activities of certain natives who had been gathering arms and recruiting men for some unknown purpose um on august 13th an augustinian curate in san pedro Macati wrote to the civil governor or mayor of manila denouncing anti-spanish meetings in his parish the catapunin were finally discovered by the spanish authorities six days later the tipping point was an argument between Teodoro Patino and Apollonio de la Cruz, who both worked for the Dario de Manila printing press um, over wages. So the press foreman de la Cruz and the typesetter Patino fought over a salary increase of two pesos. Okay. And not going to lie, I, I, I have no idea how much that would be for like our Yeah, especially conversion of pesos yeah. to dollars and also and the being two, yeah, 200 yeah. years ago. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, and I did not try to look it up. Um, so De La Cruz tried to blame Patino for the loss of the printing supplies that had been used to print the Calayana, which was the the uh, Liberty-like pamphlet thingy that the uh, Katapunin uh, made. So in retaliation, Patino revealed the secrets of the society to his sister, Honorio Patino, an inmate nun at the Mendeljong Orphanage, who apparently became very distressed by uh, by this knowledge of this revolting group, um, to the point that the mother Portis saw her crying, uh, which is when Honoria spilled the proverbial beans. Oops. Yep. So that evening, the mother Portis called Patino and advised him to tell everything that he knew about the Catapunin through confession. As... Which, so this little bit I took off Wikipedia because it was just, I thought it was really nice because it said, controlled by his fear of hell, Patino went to confession and confessed. (laughs) Yep, that's how that typically works. Yeah. 
so yeah. Um, so despite, uh, besides just his knowledge of the Katapunin, he also told the curate of some items that would serve as potential physical proof, including a lithographic stone that was hidden in the press room of the Dario de Manila, which had been used by the Society for Printing Receipts. There were also documents of membership signed in the member's own blood, a picture of Dr. Jose Rizal, and several daggers that were made for the Catapunero employees of the newspaper. So, incriminating evidence galore. Um, alarmed by the revelation of a secret society, pretty much right under their noses, the curate informed the authorities, who then searched the printing office and found the incriminating evidence. They also found that De La Cruz was in possession of a dagger used in Catapunan initiation rites and a list of some of the newly accepted members. After the arrests of Patino and De La Cruz, the governor general was informed and the Spanish unleashed a crackdown and arrested dozens of people where many innocent citizens were forced to go to Fort Santiago, which served as a prison during the Spanish Empire and World War II in the Philippines. Okay. <clears throat> um, and now like a big like memorial uh, museum-y kind of site. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so if we ever go to the Philippines, we should check it out. <laughs> okay. Um, so Patino's alleged betrayal has become the standard version of how the revolution broke out in 1896. In the 1920s, however, the Philippine National Library commissioned a group of former Cataponeros to confirm the truth of the story. And Jose Turiano Santiago, who is Bonificio's close friend, that uh, who was expelled in 1895, uh, so before the discovery, actually denied the story. And he claimed that Bonificio himself ordered Patino to divulge the society's existence um, in order to hasten the Philippine Revolution and to preempt any objection from its members. Okay. Yeah, there also seem to be several different details concerning Patino's confession and potential motivation for divulging this information. Uh, but, you know, once the cat's out of the bag, you can't really put it back in. <laughs> yeah. So when the Catapunan leaders learned of the arrests, Bonificio called an assembly of all provincial councillors to decide the start of the armed uprising. The meeting was held at the house of Apollonial Samson at a place called Kang Kong in Balatawak. And I mostly wanted to say that name because Kang Kong sounds a lot like King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so about a thousand Catapuneros attended the meeting but they were not able to settle the issue. Like, they weren't able to agree. So the next day, they met again, and this time, they tore their cedulas, which were resident certificates and identity papers, um, as a sign of their commitment to the revolution, and they agreed to attack Manila on August 29th. But, you know, as luck would have it, Spanish civil guards discovered the meeting, and the first battle occurred, and later became known as the Battle of Pasong Tamo. So while the Catapunan initially had the upper hand, the Spanish civil guards turned the fight around. Bonificio and his men retreated toward Marikina uh, via Balera, which is now Quezon City. They then proceeded to San Mateo and took over the town. The Spanish, however, regained it three days later. So after regrouping, the Catapuneros decided not to attack Manila directly, but agreed to take the Spanish powder magazine and garrison on San Juan. So on August 30th, the Catapunan attacked the 100 Spanish soldiers defending the powder magazine in the ba Battle of San Juan del Monte, or the Battle of Pinaglabanan. 
About 153 Catapuneros were killed in the battle, but the Catapunin had to withdraw when Spanish reinforcements arrived. So not only did they attack with more people, but they had more people die than their opponents had people to begin with. Oof. Yeah. More than 200 members of the Catapunin were taken prisoner. At about the same time, Catapuneros in other suburban Manila areas like Calucan, San Pedro de Tunasan, which is now Makati City, uh, Pateros, Taguig, um, all rose up in arms. In the afternoon of the same day, the Spanish Governor General Camillo de Polavia declared martial law in Manila and several of the surrounding provinces. So the Philippine Revolution had officially begun. Um, Pandi Balukan played a vital and historical role in the fight for Philippine independence, just kind of like as a little bit of a side note. Pandi is known for the Real de Cacaron de Sili Shrine, or the Inang Filipina Shrine, um, which is the site of the bloodiest battle in Bulacan, where more than 3,000 Catapunero revolutionaries died. Likewise, it's on this site where the Republic de Real de Catacaran de Sili of 1896, which was one of the first Philippine revolutionary republics, um, was established. I think it technically was like the first one, but it wasn't. There were some like legal or there were some technical things going on. So there are like three first Philippine uh, revolutionary like uh, republics. Everyone just wants to be number one. Well, they were all slightly different in their own way. So, like, it was very complicated, and I had a really hard time figuring out just because of, like, the logistics of it and the way um, the government was, like, theoretically formed. Also, this this republic lasted, like, a month, maybe. <laughs> Not ah, very long. Okay. <laughs> and it was, like, essentially the city became a republic. Like, this one city, essentially. Yep. So it wasn't even like Philippine Republic. It was like this city claimed to be the Philippine Republic. It's almost like uh, Chaz or whatever it's called in uh, Seattle right now. Oh, oh, the, 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 the yes. autonomous zone. Yes. Yeah. It, it's almost like it wasn't a republic. It was an autonomous zone. Yeah, actually, that's actually um, from what I understand that that actually is a pretty good analogy. OK, cool. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it was also in Kakaran de Sili. Uh, which about 6,000 caponeros from various towns of Balucan, headed by the Brigadier General Eswebio Roque, better known as the Maestrong Sebio or Dima Bungo, um, that the Kakaron Republic was organized... Kakarot! <laughs> oh, God. This one is really hard for me for some reason. Kakarot is a uh, Dragon Ball Z reference, by the way, Kylie. Oh. That was the name of Goku in Saiyan. Oh. See, I was thinking Akarot, and I don't know why. From Nadpod? Oh! Yep, that would be it. Yep. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, maybe he was here too. Um, so this, this Brigadier General um, and about 6,000 Catapuneros organized this Kakarong Republic. Um, and yeah, it was super short-lived. <laughs> Um, but now there's this, you know, nice shrine and everything. So jumping quickly back to Rizal for a second. Before the Catapunin Society was uncovered, Rizal applied for and was accepted to a position as a doctor in the Spanish army in Cuba, um, kind of as a bid to persuade the Spanish authorities that he was loyal to Spain. 
He boarded a ship to Spain, but while they were still en route, the Katapunin were uncovered. And if you were paying attention, you'll remember that I said that Rizal was named as the honorary president. Yep. So a telegram reached the ship at a port that ordered them to return to Manila so Rizal could face charges that he was the mastermind behind the uprising. Oh, no. Yeah. I told you it was going to come back and bite him in the butt. Trixie. Yep. So he was <laughs> executed by musketry on December 30th, 1896. So Rizal was just the first of many who would be rightfully and wrongly accused of being Katapunin members or conspirators and were executed. But the executions, and in particular Rizal's execution, only added fuel to the rebellion, with the Katapuneros shouting battle cries like, Long live the Tagalog Nation and long live Dr. Jose Rizal. Yep. So while the attack on Manila failed, the surrounding provinces rose up in, a vol- in revolt as well. Um, in particular, rebels in Cavite, led by Mariano Alvarez and Emilio Aguinaldo, won early major victories. A power struggle among the revolutionaries led to Bonificio's death in 1897, um, and command was shifted to Aguinaldo, who led the newly formed revolutionary government. That year, the revolutionaries and the Spanish signed the Pact of Biak Nanbato, which temporarily reduced hostilities. Aguinaldo and other Filipino officers exiled themselves in the British colony of Hong Kong in southern China. However, the hostilities never completely ceased, and the start of the Spanish-American War actually created an unofficial alliance between the U.S. and the uh, Philippine revolutionaries. Interesting. Yeah, and the decisive victory at the Battle of Manila Bay meant that the U.S. effectively gained control of Manila. On May 19th, Aguinaldo returned to the Philippines and resumed attacks against the Spaniards, Uh, By June, the rebels had gained control of nearly all of the Philippines, with the exception of Manila. And on June 12th, Aguinaldo issued the Philippine Declaration of Independence. Although this signified the end date of the revolution, neither Spain nor the United States recognized the Philippines as independent. Well, that's mean. Yeah, well, (laughs) Spanish rule of the Philippines wasn't officially ended until the Treaty of Paris in 1898, which also was the end of the Spanish-American War. In the treaty, Spain ceded control of the Philippines and other territories to the United States. So to make a very long story short, the Philippines didn't want to be controlled by any other country. So the Malolos Constitution established the first Philippine Republic um, and was proclaimed on January 1899, which started the Philippine-American War in February of 1899 yep. with the Battle of Manila. On June 2nd, 1899, the First Philippine Republic formally declared war against the United States with Pedro Paterno, president of the Congress of the First Philippine Republic, issuing a proclamation of war. So since the First Philippine Republic was never recognized as a sovereign state, the U.S. never formally declared war back, um, and the conflict was not concluded by a treaty. On July 2nd, 1902, the United States Secretary of War telegraphed that since the insurrection Against the United States had ended, and provincial civil governments had been established throughout most of the Philippine archipelago, the office of military governor was terminated. So essentially, that was the end of the conflict. On July 4th, President Theodore Roosevelt proclaimed an amnesty to those who had participated in the conflict, and the U.S. granted independence to the Philippines on July 4th, 1946. So, you know, that took a while. 40 years later. Yeah. (laughs) So in accordance with the Philippine Independence Act, which was more popularly known as the Tidings McDuffie Act, 
President Harry S. Truman issued the Proclamation 2695 on July 4th, 1946, officially recognizing the independence of the Philippines. And to wrap it all up nicely with a little bow, on April 9th, 2002, Philippine President Gloria Macapalga Ario proclaimed that the Philippine-American War had ended. There we go. Um, but they she, let go of the bad blood. She did post-date it as ending on April 16th, 1902. <laughs> so, <laughs> But she marked it back as the surrender of General Miguel Malvar was the end of the revolution. So that is the Catapunan Society and the end of the Spanish Empire in the Philippines. Well, very cool. Thank you. I did not enjoy those names. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I think you did a lot better than uh, you thought you would do. I Well, I read them a lot. <laughs> yeah, you you and, at least stuck with the same pronunciation of most of the names. I and tried. Didn't repeat all that frequently. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> I think it was admirable. Thank you. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Halfwit History. You can send us an email at halfwitpod at gmail dot com, um, and we'd really love to hear from you guys. Any topic ideas, suggestions, comments, um, you know, anything at all, we'd um, love to get. You can also visit our web- website at halfwit-history.com. Um, and we also have a Ko-Fi. And I don't know the what the address for that. <laughs> that one's ko-fi.com forward slash halfwithistory. Yes, that one. Um, so, you know, if uh, you want to help contribute to our fun, our, our I think it's fun show. <laughs> you know, you can do that, buy a coffee, help fuel my caffeine addiction. Jonathan will not thank you for that one, but I will. <laughs> In reality, the Ko-Fi goes to pay for all the equipment that we bought. Yes, and, that is true. <laughs> uh, all that stuff. And once we get all of that paid for, then you'll be buying Kylie some coffees. Please. I need coffee. Um, it's also like nine o'clock and I'm tired. So yeah. Um, and then the last thing is we want to thank the fishermen for the use of our theme song, Another Day. Um, you can find his stuff on their stuff on SoundCloud, um, and you should go check it out. Yeah, and their SoundCloud is in our show notes. Yes, everything is in the show notes. It is a very handy thing. It's true. <laughs> um, the only time you won't see that is if you go to if you're listening on Spotify. Spotify does this weird thing where it doesn't accept anything but plain text. Oh, interesting. So everything in the show notes will be kind of jumbled together, and yeah. That's odd. Yep. So the links maybe work. Maybe they don't. I think I got it right so that they do work now. (laughs) Um, But they are click links because if I put in the URLs, then it would get jumbled with everything else. Ah, gotcha. So you won't see the URLs. You'll have to listen to the call to action to understand where to go. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So have you found a fun fact yet? I did. And this one I really hope we can do next year so okay put a little pin in that if All we right. remember or if we don't find something more interesting because this is probably a topic that people have done to death but it would also be kind of fun to learn more about in general so on july 8th of 1947 reports are broadcast that a ufo has crash landed in roswell new mexico i am vaguely familiar with this yes <laughs> it's the most famous conspiracy cover-up of a ufo since the pentagon announced that ufos are real (laughs) this year (laughs) yeah 
I will oh. keep bringing that up. Oh, yes, you will. You are obsessed. We 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 just can't overlook like COVID's important. COVID's off, <laughs> awful. But somewhere in the middle of it, the government tried to distract us with aliens could be real and no one listened. Well, people were more worried about the pandemic. <laughs> yep. But that just shows how crazy things have been getting in the US that the government said aliens could be real. And no one cared. And no one cared. Yes. Um, this country is just slowly devolving into like just utter chaos. Yeah, we're currently <laughs> on across a the board. giant spike of COVID cases. Yep. Luckily, we live in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts Which, actually tried to do things right. So yeah. we, are, we have a fairly normal curve that will probably see a normal second wave. But yeah. the rest of the United States never stopped I'm climbing. I'm looking at you, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> LA's having trouble. Yeah. Texas is having trouble. Anyways, screw all that. Fun facts. What's anyway, fun yes. Fact? Okay. So, my fun fact is that on July 7th, 1550, um, is the traditional date when chocolate was thought to have been introduced to Europe. Oh, cool. Which, good for them, because that means that's how chocolate got introduced to me. <laughs> uh-huh, and Kylie has been uh, indulging in the chocolate known as Oreos recently. They're so good! Oh, I love them. <clears throat> anyway, so yeah. Cool. Chocolate. Do you want to be the half with this time since you said the... No. Oh, fine. <laughs> Anyways, I've been your half wit. And I'm your historian. And we hope you listen next week. Bye. Since you Are you kidding me? I'm going to leave that at the end. <laughs> <laughs>